1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of five end-time political agendas. This perhaps might be surprising to some of you that are students of the Bible, or maybe some of you that are listening. This is all new to you, or you're just beginning to search. I meet hundreds of people online on a regular basis that write the ministry or email the ministry or social media contact the ministry through the various platforms and tell me that they discovered our ministry by googling Bible prophecy. Now like never before people are turning to the Bible for answers and to be quite honest with you what's going on in our world today has literally scared the hell out of a lot of people and the Bible has answers and those of you that have turned to the Bible and those of you that perhaps have grown up on the Bible are still perhaps going to be a little surprised to understand that the pages of Revelation the last book of the Bible that grandiose prophetic book of the Bible outlines five very specific political agendas that will be alive and well in the last days. And as I share all five of those with you, I think many of you, the light is going to go on, and now you're going to understand before this night is over why our nation is where it is at, why there has been such what seems to be a wicked tug of war between heaven and hell. Our nation is in a battle. And the battle and the war that our nation of America is involved in is not a political war. It is not a war of Democrats against Republicans. It is not a war of liberals against conservatives. What you are watching in our world today is a literal tug of war of the final pages of Bible prophecy between the agenda of heaven and the agenda of hell. And we're going to uncover that for you tonight in this message entitled Five End Time Political Agendas. As we begin and read the scriptures, some of you that are listening to me perhaps have never made a genuine commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Owning and reading a Bible does not make you a Christian. Praying does not make you a Christian. Trying to be a better person in the new year does not make you a Christian. And so before I ever read the passage tonight out of the 13th chapter of Revelation, can I ask you a very clear question? Do you have a distinct memory of a time in your life when you've got down on bended knees in the presence of a holy God and repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm not here tonight for a denominational agenda. 
This is not about being Protestant or Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or any denomination. And I mean no disrespect to any of them. I'm simply telling you that if you read this Bible, if by God's grace, in judgment when you stand before him, he's not going to ask you what church you were a member of. He's going to ask you, did you repent of sin and in childlike faith receive what Jesus, my only son, did for you on the cross? Because in the 21st century, if you'll allow me to remind you, the Bible still says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one way to have right relationship with God, and that is through the recognition of your sin, the repentance of your sin, and the receiving of Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And so in the moments to come when I conclude tonight, I'm going to do what I do every night and I've done for over 40 years in 56 countries of the world without exception. I'd like to have the privilege of praying with you. And I'm going to ask you to meet me at this altar before the evening's over. And I'm not going to embarrass you and I'm not going to make a spectacle out of you. We're going to pray together what many people call a sinner's prayer. I want you to know that this preacher loves you. This is not a job. This is not a career. This is my calling. And I care about you. And the Lord cares about you. If it were a job, I promise you I would write a letter of resignation tonight when I got back to my hotel, email it to my board of trustees in the morning, and find a job that allowed me to go back home at the end of every day and sleep in my own bed. But I do this because I feel that we are living in the final moments of human history. And what we do for the Lord, we must do passionately and persistently and with sincerity and to the best of our ability, holy hands and a clean heart. Jesus is coming soon. And I want you to be ready to meet the Lord. And I have good news for you, no matter what your sin, no matter what your past, no matter what's in your closet, no matter what you're ashamed of, no matter what guilt that you carry, at this altar in a place of childlike prayer, there is a God who said in the Holy Bible, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And tonight when you go home, some of you for the first time in your life, some of you that are watching on various platforms of media will be able to lay your head to the pillow and know, not think so, not hope so, but know. My heart is right with God. I have peace with God tonight. No matter what happens, it is well with my soul. And if you're willing to believe and receive the goodness of the Lord tonight, give him a mighty hand of praise as we begin. Revelation chapter 13, go to verse 1. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. By the way, the beast in verses 1 through 3 is the Antichrist, and we'll come back to that, but for those that are taking notes. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns, 
on its horns and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, pause again, the dragon refers here in verse 2 and throughout this chapter, the dragon is Satan in Revelation chapter 13. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle. Highlight the whole world. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. Verse 4. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? Verse 5. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God and was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Verse 6. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. And remain faithful. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. Now if you're taking notes again, pause. This second beast is the false prophet. And so now we have the unholy trinity in Revelation 13 completed. And that is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Verse 12. He exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. And again, pause. And those that are taking notes, I want you to highlight. He deceived all the people who belong to this world. And I want you to make a note that deception is one of the great marks of the last days. Everything that the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, and all of their allies are going to do in the last days of Bible prophecy, the scripture repeatedly uses the word 
deceit. They are going to deceive people. We are living in an age where people are deceived. We are living in an age where people no longer think for themselves. We were told they would follow the science and the data, and they have not. But people continue to follow the deception. Deception, may you never forget it, is one of the key words in eschatology. It is salt and peppered throughout the pages of the Holy Bible on the subject of the last days. Then the Bible goes on to say, let's pick up at verse 14, with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. Verse 15, he was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. I took the time tonight to read a long passage because God's word is always anointed. My commentary about it may or may not be. If you're new to our ministry, I'm one of those preachers that starts in the Bible, stays in the Bible, and finishes in the Bible. And I'm going to do my best now to unfold for you and help you to see those five political agendas in Revelation 13. Before I do that, let me pray. Father, we never open the Holy Bible without an awareness of our desperate need for you. Only the Holy Spirit can properly teach and provide for us the understanding of the things of God, for they are not simply intellectually ascended to, but they are by the Spirit heard and received. The Bible says those who are not right with God are blinded to spiritual truth and cannot understand it. So, Father, I ask you that by your great grace, would you open every ear, open every eye, open every heart. My prayer is that not one person who listens to the Bible tonight would be absent in eternity's morning. I pray that tonight you would give them the faith and the courage and the humility to turn from sin and to turn to Christ before it is too late. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for we ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the soon coming King. And all God's people said, Amen. Here in Revelation chapter 13, if you're taking notes, we have two beasts that are described to us in this 13th chapter. The first one is in verse 
number one, and the Bible says that beast comes up out of the sea. And then in verse 11, the Bible tells us that one comes up out of the land. As I've already shared with you, the first beast is the Antichrist, and the second beast is the false prophet, and the dragon in Revelation 13 is Satan himself. The first beast, the Bible tells us, comes up out of the sea. He's one claiming to be a peacemaker and riding a great white horse. But the truth is he comes as a source of darkness into the world and he does not come to save the world, but he comes to damn the world. In Revelation 13, the first beast, the Antichrist, and the second beast, the false prophet, are both the product of and empowered by Satan himself, which is that old serpent, or as the scripture often refers to him, the devil. Now here's something very noteworthy, and I don't want you to miss it. A significant prophetic unveiling takes place for the very first time in Revelation chapter 13. I've oftentimes referred to these as the unholy trinity or the trinity for hell. But just as we have a God who exists in triune form, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, Satan has always endeavored to do exactly what he saw from the beginning. He has always tried to copy and to counterfeit what God does by the divine, but he always falls short. And just as there is a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and by the way, you were created in his image, Genesis 1 tells me. You were not created for sin. You were not created for failure. You were created for success. You were not created for sickness. You were created for health. You were not created to be dumbed down. You were created to be lifted up. You were not created to be on the bottom. You were created to be on the top. You are a child of God if you have received Christ is Lord and the moment you turn from sin and turn to Christ the Bible guarantees you that as you learn and live the word of God your path will always be forward and your path will always be upward and there is no power in this world that can stop what God has promised to do for you hallelujah I try to behave myself but this is good stuff so Revelation 13, for the very first time, unveils the unholy trinity. With that said, let me get directly to the subject at hand, and that is the five end-time political agendas. Number one is a one-world leader. Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation and other passages reveal to us that in the last days there will arise a one world leader. Look at Revelation 13 verses 7 and 8. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth and worship it. It is the Antichrist, or as we've already discovered, the first beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life and the Lamb who was slain. I want you to highlight in your Bible that authority was given to the Antichrist over every tribe, every people, 
every language, every nation, and all who dwell on the earth, which is why I've titled it a one world leader. The Bible here gives five categorical descriptions that are given in one sentence for stark clarity to leave no doubt that this one world leader's authority is global. Think of it. Every tribe, all people, all languages, all nations, all who dwell on the face of the earth. I think when the Holy Spirit gave this revelation to the author John, he wrote certain things so that 21st century Bible scholars could not undo it and twist it to make something out of it that is not the truth. You don't have to understand Greek or go to seminary to understand that John in writing this is not wasting words. He's making no wiggle room for understanding or misunderstanding. So based on this passage and others, the Bible foretells that there will soon be an arrival of a one world leader who will preside over a one world government. Now based upon what I believe and what I believe can be supported through proper biblical scholarship, I personally believe that the Antichrist is alive and well today. I believe that somewhere in the world today, he is already in the dark shadows positioned either in a political, financial, or religious arena. And I'm not going to take the time tonight to prove why I believe that other than to say I'm well aware of the passage in Matthew 24 and verse 36 that says, No man knows the day nor the hour that the Son of Man will return. No, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. And that passage is oftentimes used to assassinate anybody who would dare stand up and put any type of time frame on Bible prophecy. But again, in proper biblical scholarship, you just can't pull a text here and a text there. Everything has to be read contextually. It has to be read within the total narrative of the book and in the total narrative of the Bible. Because in that same 24th chapter of Matthew, the Bible also says you'll know when it's nigh even at the door. So the Bible, listen, don't miss this. The Bible forbids date setting, but it tells us if you know Bible prophecy you'll know when it's nigh, even at the door. And one of the reasons we know that it's nigh, even at the door, is the Bible prophesied that the generation who witnessed the rebirth of the nation of Israel would not pass until all of these things were fulfilled. And since Israel was reborn as a nation, fulfilling one of the main prophecies in the Holy Bible on May 14, 1948, May 14, 1948 started a prophetic countdown. Now, for some of you, it may go against your grain to admit this, but how many of you were alive in 1948? Will you just keep your hands up for a moment? And I want the young people to look around. Before this generation passes, things must be fulfilled. And it is just one of many biblical reasons, if I had the time, I could make a solid example from Scripture for you. You are living in the final moments of human history. It is one of the reasons why I believe wholeheartedly that somewhere in the world today, the Antichrist is waiting in the wings. 
Revelation 13 verses 1 through 10 also provide for us a way of identifying who the Antichrist is and give us specific characteristics. Verse 1, he rises from the sea. Now, that doesn't mean that he's Aquaman. It probably, in the proper understanding of its writing and its culture, speaks of a man that comes out of the Mediterranean region. The dragon, Satan, gives him power and authority. Verse 2. Verse 3 says he'll receive a deadly wound. Many have talked through the years that he's going to be publicly assassinated. Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say he's going to be publicly assassinated, but it does say he'll receive a deadly wound. And then in verse 3 it says that deadly wound will be healed. Think in terms, those of you that are old enough and those of you that are younger, if you've not seen the documentaries and the history, then turn Netflix off for a few months and study some history. But think in terms of John F. Kennedy. Most of us have seen the footage of him driving here in the great state of Texas. His beautiful wife sitting beside him in that Lincoln Continental. Roof down. Of course, the great debate is, was it a single shooter, was it a double shooter, was it a triple shooter, and so on. All I know that I well remember seeing the President of the United States and his head snap back. And I'll not go into the gory details, you've seen the footage. And America went into great grief as we mourn the assassination of an American president. Imagine two days later him coming to a podium with bandages wrapped around his head and say, I'm just here to tell you I've miraculously recovered and I'm going to go right back to my political agenda. Do you not think that would change the feelings of the world concerning that man? The Antichrist is going to receive a deadly wound and will be healed supernaturally. Verses 3 and 7 tell us he'll have strong political power. Verses 3 and 8 tell us he'll have strong religious power. Verses 1, 5, and 6 tell us he'll be guilty of blasphemy. Verse 5 tells us that he will rule for 42 months. Verse 7 tells us that he'll war and be victorious and overcome the tribulation saints. There will be people saved during the rapture. But those who are saved during the great tribulation, all oh, the woe and the horror and the torture, and the bloodshed, and the beheading, and the awful things that the Bible tells will happen to those who reject the Antichrist. They'll all have to give their life for their faith. The Bible tells us in verse 18, he has a mysterious number, and that number is 666. The Antichrist is a person who is against Christ. But the prefix here in the Greek, anti, antichrist, could also mean instead of. But both meanings apply to this coming one world leader. He will overtly oppose Christ and at the same time will pass himself off as Christ. Grandiose question is how close are we? 
We're watching the political foundations of this nation crumbling before our very eyes and it seems like it's escalating and not done yet. How close are we to a one world leader? Many global leaders and various world organizations fueled by the United Nations and their 2030 agenda and an overwhelming support of the majority of global leaders are all calling for. They resent America. They resent our democracy. They resent our prosperity. They resent our military prowess. They resent our capitalism. And they are all in the wings crying, we need a one world leader. Who thought you'd live long enough to see the Catholic Pope, and I'm not in any way wanting to offend Catholics, I love you. But those of you that are Catholic or come from Catholic backgrounds or have Catholic family, Catholic people in my travels come up to me all the time and they're in disbelief that the Pope of the modern hour would be a proponent of globalism and homosexuality and a universal church and calling publicly in his speeches for a one world leader and Kanye West is preaching the gospel and calling people to repentance. We live in strange times. Number two, a one world government. Look at Revelation 13 and verse 3. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. Number one, a one world leader. Number two, a one world government. Highlight in verse 3, the whole world. That's how we know that it's a global or a one world government. We know beyond all doubt from the book of Revelation that there is going to be a globally controlled government power. Now my academic convictions of proper textual interpretation don't allow me to be dogmatic and insist that we use the verbiage one world government because one world government's nowhere in the Bible. One world leader is nowhere in the Bible as far as those words translated into an English version that I know of. Nowhere in a Bible that I know of in the English translations does it say a one world currency. But the Bible, though it does not use those specific terms, one world government, one world leader, one world currency, and so on, does contain absolute definitions and references to these things. What is absolutely biblically secure is that the one world leader is going to exercise unprecedented authority and will control the whole world. It is the details as to what that global chain of command is going to look like that is up to theological debate. And I'll leave that there because I'm not here to give you a lesson in seminary eschatology. Number three, a one world religion. Look at Revelation 13 and 4. They worship the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaim, who is able to fight against him? Go down to verses 13 and 14. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles that he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. 
Let me just pause long enough to say something that I hope you'll listen to carefully. There are two kinds of people listening to me right now. People who belong to the world and people who belong to the Lord. And those who belong to this world will never belong to the Lord. And those who belong to the Lord will never belong to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Can I pause for a moment to ask your attention to go to the word in Revelation 13 statue? Because in 2020, it actually is haunting that in 2020, for the first time in my life, I witnessed a quick, as you did, demonic frenzy to destroy the historic statues of our nation. We watched people in mobs with unbridled hatred rip statue after statue off of their pedestals and there was no consistent reason for doing so. Just almost a demonic frenzy to rip statues off of pedestals across our nation and around the world. I wondered as I watched this on nightly news, is it possible that the statues of the world are being torn from their bases to make room for the statue of the one world leader in Revelation 13 who will force statues to be erected worldwide in his honor and force people to bow and worship him? I believe there's an allowance perhaps for that very reason of this sudden frenzy of hatred for statues being torn from their bases. For the Bible says, and we've seen it, the Antichrist certainly will not be the first. We've seen world leaders and world dictators and world luminaries who typically have one master statue of themselves erected at their base of power and then have replicates of that statue made all over the region, all over their places of rule, and force people into subservience. It just is quite interesting that in 2020, never seen it before, but it was almost like a demonic frenzy. Not only did they tear them from the pedestals, they lit them on fire. They threw them into rivers. They took trucks and drugged them and tried to break them. They painted them. They lit them on fire and so on and, and had satanic rituals and curses. And I mean, it was almost apocalyptic. And as a student of Bible prophecy, as I watched that begin to happen on a regular basis, my mind went to Revelation 13. And I thought, are we literally watching the pedestals of historic leaders, historic figures being torn for pedestals to make room for those that Revelation 13 tells us are coming to the world. What is clear in Revelation 13 is all the inhabitants, the Bible says, of the earth will be forced to worship the Antichrist or face death. Pope Francis recently said, I wrote it down word for word so that I wouldn't misquote it, he said, quote, we too, in the name of God, 
Now, let me just give a little context. He's at a global meeting where religions of the world and leaders of religions of the world have come together in this great international religious conclave to discuss having a one world religion. And Pope Francis said, quote, we too, when it was his time to speak, we too, in the name of God, in order to safeguard peace, need to enter together as one family into an ark which can sail the stormy seas of the world, the ark of fraternity, end of quote. And I'll stop right there instead of reading the entire speech. But world religious leaders that you never would have thought would have been on the side and become the leading voices are now calling for a one world religion. Second Thessalonians 2 and 4, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Here in 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes on prophecy and helps us to see that this one world religion, its seat of power is going to be in Jerusalem, specifically in the third temple, which is already built and ready for assembly. And he will desecrate that holy third temple and make it his seat of power there in Jerusalem. And will enforce it by death penalty throughout the world. Those who refuse the Bible tells us to worship the Antichrist. And to receive his mark will face suffering, persecution, starvation. Yet the Bible says those who come to Christ during this great tribulation time. Will remain steadfast in their faith. And will have a supernatural ability to endure to the end. The Antichrist will also persecute, torture, and behead all who believe in Jesus during a period of time called the Great Tribulation. In verse 7, the Bible tells us that the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. Those who are left behind, who come to faith in Jesus Christ after the rapture of the church, will enter into a different covenant. And they will pay with their very lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you study this carefully, and I wish I had an extra night just to preach on the Antichrist. And again, I hope you understand I could never do an exhaustive study of any of these subjects in a matter of days. But the Antichrist goes through this despotic evolution through the book of Revelation. He first comes on the scene promoting himself as a European regional leader. He then is quickly brought into a place of being a world leader. He then turns into an iron-fisted global dictator and finally calls himself God. Who would have thought you would have seen such an evolution of political power? Someone who starts off regionally, moves into a global position, has this new unprecedented power and then eventually declares, I'm God. And all who do not worship me must die. Fourthly, there will be a one world monetary system. Look at Revelation 3 and verse 16. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything 
without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. One of the most common questions that comes into my ministry is, who do you think the Antichrist is? Or they send me who they think the Antichrist is. The Bible doesn't tell us, nor will he be revealed until after the rapture of the church. I'm actually wondering if it's the my pillow guy. <laughs> you can't go anywhere anymore without seeing my pillow guy. Dark black hair and a sinister black mustache, and he's got a black cross that hangs off a blue satin shirt, and perhaps it's the pillow. You sleep out on all night, and you wake up in the morning and say, What's this mark on my forehead? It's the my pillow guy. I say that in jest because such foolishness of definitions of the Antichrist are constantly being sent to me through social media. Let me just answer it from the Bible. I pity you if you're around when he's revealed. Because if you're around when the Antichrist is revealed, you have been left behind. And Jesus said it is going to be so bad during the Great Tribulation that if God the Father had not shortened the days of the Great Tribulation, it's going to be a seven-year window. But Jesus said, if God the Father had not shortened the days of the Great Tribulation period, none could survive. Over half the planet will be destroyed during those seven years. Imagine taking a round number of about 8 million people. Imagine 8 billion people. Imagine 4 billion people being quickly, in a matter of months, eradicated from the face of this planet. 4 billion people. That's going to happen during the Great Tribulation, and it's going to happen through a series of judgments that I cannot get into tonight, but through uh, warfare, probably through nuclear warfare, through pestilences, through pandemics. There are a variety of judgments and seals and bowls whereby God is going to judge during the Great Tribulation, but over 4 billion plus people will be eradicated. Unknown to many, the Federal Reserve is a privately owned organization. Many of you have grown up thinking that when you hear in the news information about our currency and our money and the Federal Reserve and interest rates being changed and, and the chairman of the Federal Reserve, most of us grew up thinking that that was an American institution controlled by America, but it is not, and it never has been. The Federal Reserve is a privately owned organization driven by a written vision for a one world government. Its monetary policy decisions do not have to be approved by the president nor any part of our system in America. Not the executive branches, not the judicial branches. No one in America's government power has the ability to tell the Federal Reserve what to do. During COVID-19 and this pandemic, it has allowed world financial institutions a tremendous opportunity to strengthen their position to move quickly towards a cashless society and in many cases forbidding the use of cash and requiring digital transactions in this past year of limited travel. Like never before, many places that I go to will no longer take good old-fashioned American cash. Signs everywhere in my travels now. We do not 
any longer take cash. The major interstates of America in my travels I've noticed in 2020 are closing their toll booths all over the nation. I fly into a city and pick up a rent-a-car or drive down an interstate. Toll booths that have been there my entire ministry are gone, suddenly gone. And new technology hangs above the interstates. And now everything is done through digital transaction, facial recognition technology. I had to let my front office know in financial dealings because they mentioned to me in a staff meeting all of these tolls that are just coming in through the mail. I said, that's the new world. Through facial recognition technology, our world is quickly going cashless, and we know exactly where this trend is headed. The technologies needed for the amazing fulfillment of John's prophecy. Think about this for a minute, because I believe if you're one who doubts Bible or doubts Bible prophecy, in clear conscience, think about this for a moment. The last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. It was written in A.D. 96, in a time when they were still using very primal currency in many regions, still trading turtle doves and, and produce and, and livestock and so on. But John the Revelator writes the book of Revelation and in the book of Revelation prophesies that in the last days there will be some advancement. Now he had no idea, could not have imagined. But he writes in detail that there will be a one world currency that is going to be cashless. And all will have to receive a mark. Now that technology has been around for a long time. It constantly goes through an evolution. And the same thing. I'm constantly deluded by people sending me and asking me, do you think this is the mark of the beast? No, it is not. I don't care what you send or ask. It is not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is not going to be revealed until after the rapture of the church and the arrival of the Antichrist. Now, is it possible that some form of the mark of the beast is in the world and the technology is already available? I believe it most certainly is. But Satan cannot fully unfold his demonic plan during the Great Tribulation until the rapture of the church. But he wrote that in A.D. 96. They must have thought him insane. Talking about a one world monetary system. That would be upgraded and demanded throughout the world. By the way, they could implement quickly and globally with little effort a one world monetary system. There are multiple technologies that exist as I speak that are already available, they could pick one of several dozens and turn them into a global monetary system. But we don't know which one it is because the final decision is not going to take place until the rapture. By the way, I'll add more detail to this in our message entitled, Can I Take the Mark of the Beast Accidentally? Those of you that are a part of this Lost Lamb outreach, that'll be tomorrow night. Lastly, and I close with this, a one-world military power. A one-world leader, a one-world government, a one-world religion, 
a one-world monetary system, and fifthly, a one-world military. Look at the fourth verse of Revelation 13. They worship the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worship the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Highlight that in your Bible. Who is as great as the beast? Who is able to fight against him? From the original Greek text, this infers warfare. Verse 5, then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Time will not allow, but I believe that the Bible clearly defines at least a third world war in the great tribulation. Many scholars that I study, some of which I have great trust in, outline seven total world wars in history Five more that will occur during the Great Tribulation. I'm not going to go down the road of scholarship and speculation. I've never done that with you. I never will. I'm just telling you that there are many scholars with more years under their belt and more education under their belt than I have who not only believe that nuclear warfare is clearly defined in the Great Tribulation but allow for up to five nuclear skirmishes during the seven years. All I can tell you that is definitive from the scripture is that over half the planet is going to die in some apocalyptic manner of judgments. The Bible tells us he'll attempt to destroy Christianity with this military global power. All the followers of Jesus Christ he'll try to eradicate and even the nation of Israel. Just in 2020, June of 2020, let me read to you a few words from the speech at the World Governments Summit. Quote, I offer my thanks to His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashad al-Miktoum. I think I just got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Lord, I apologize for that and ask you to forgive me. For His leadership in bringing the world together to reimagine our future. I'll not read the whole speech. Let me go down. He concluded this keynote speech at the World Government Summit months ago with these words. Quote, finally and most importantly, the world is in desperate need of international unity and global solidarity. The politicization of the pandemic has exacerbated Ultimately, the pandemic has shown that we are humanity, one humanity, and none of us are safe until all of us are safe. This is the lesson that we must learn anew and that we must learn together. The World Health Organization remains committed to working with all countries to create a healthier, safer, fairer world that our children and our grandchildren deserve. Bible very clearly in Revelation tells us that all unbelievers are going to submit to every mandate, every regulation, and every allegiance to the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. 
You are watching a demonic test run for the brainwashing of global citizens. You are watching a global test for what can we do so that people will follow us like sheep. If all of the sheep are running in one direction and you turn around and run in the other direction, you're going to look like the crazy. But let me tell you something. We are being conditioned by the powers of a coming one world government, one world power, demonic antichrist system. But the good news is all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ have a ticket on the first train out of here and it's coming very soon. Come on and give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. But one thing that is clear from these future prophetic events in Revelation 13 is that all who live during the tribulation period are going to face extreme apocalyptic world chaos and face the most insane and difficult and torturous decisions that have ever been made by humanity. Jesus said, woe unto nursing mothers. Unique words. Woe unto nursing mothers. Perhaps Jesus referred to a mother with a baby who has no more food, no more money, has refused to take the mark, is living on the run, living in hiding. And in her heart, she's a backslidden Christian. She grew up in a church, but like so many in her teenage years and going into a secular college, some professor that had no faith in God or his word talked her out of her faith in Christ. And her life rejected the gospel, rejected her childhood faith. And the rapture has taken place and she's now married and now has babies. And she's nursing one of them. And she's trying to hold out because she knows what her daddy taught her. And she knows what her mother taught her. And she knows what her pastor taught her. And she knows that she's really messed up. And she knows clearly, without a doubt, that she's left behind. She knows that if I take the mark, I'm eternally damned and lost. But the sight of her newborn baby's stomach bloating bigger and bigger every day because the baby hasn't eaten in days perhaps weeks, the continuous crying, knowing all she has to do is just submit to the mandate. And you can have all the food your baby would ever want. And the torturous, weekly cries of the nursing baby and the dried up breast of the mother causes her to break. And she ends up in a line and with tears puts out her hand. And whatever that marker technology is, is administered. And now she has food for her baby, but has taken damnation for her eternity. Jesus said, Woe unto nursing mothers. I close with this and we pray.
one of these five political agendas going to be fully implemented? Can I ask you to please quit listening to bizarre social media videos on prophecy that have no biblical basis? Complete absence of proper biblical interpretation often given by people with IQs lower than the room they're broadcasting in? For the love of God, quit forwarding me videos of some guy in his basement who hasn't bathed or shaved in days, wearing a dirty hoodie, missing a tooth, eating a sandwich, telling me about the dream God woke him out of after falling asleep on Saturday night after binge-watching Netflix, how God gave him a detailed vision of America and the White House in the last days. Will you just make a New Year's resolution not to send any more of those videos to me? I beg of you, please. I beg of you. The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. By the way, it's come to my attention several times in recent months there are individuals out claiming to be associate evangelists with Lost Lamb and using my name and calling people and asking for money for missions trips. I've never done that in 40 years. I will never do that. No one in the ministry is allowed to speak on my behalf. No one in the ministry is allowed to ask or to do fundraising. Someone will... A pastor called me and said, one of your associate evangelists called me and was asking money for a, a plane ticket that uh, God spoke to his heart and you, you told him that he had a word to be delivered into my house and I'm assuming the guy's nuts, but uh, I, I just want to give you a courtesy call. I said, no, your first gut reaction was correct. I'll guarantee you he's nuts. <laughs> but we are being deluged with false prophets, false Christs, false doctrines, false visions, and social media is full of what should only be shoveled in the barn. And I'll leave it at that. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will never come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all of this when I was with you and you know what is holding him back. Here it is. Highlight that. You know what is holding him back. It's the Antichrist. What's holding the Antichrist back? He can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. The word church is found 19 times in the first three chapters of this book of Revelation. 
19 times. But after chapter 3 and verse 22, the church is never found again in the entirety of the book of Revelation until closing salutary remarks. Why? Because the church was raptured in Revelation 3 and is never again present until the second coming of Christ and the great tribulation that unfolds in chapter 4 and goes through chapter 16 of Revelation. All who have faith in Christ will be taken by means of the rapture and the rapture is the next major prophetic event on the calendar of God. Did you hear me? The next major prophetic event on the calendar of God is the rapture of the church and all who live holy and ready shall be taken. You're not going through the tribulation. You're going to be taken into the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Give him glory tonight. Christians, I have good news for you. I have good news for every Christian. You don't have to worry about the new world order. You don't have to lay awake at night losing sleep about a one world leader, a one world government, a one world monetary system, a one world religion, or a one world military power. That can only be released when that which hinders the arrival of the Antichrist is taken out of the way. And what hinders the arrival of the Antichrist is the church. That's us. I challenge you tonight. Live every day ready to meet the Lord. Because if you've listened, and again, please forgive me. I, I edited and studied and prayed and meditated for four, five hours today. Uh, asking the Lord, what should I leave out? I, I have not in any way done justice to this subject. But I hope in the time that we've had, by God's grace, you now at least know out of Revelation 13, the five clear political agendas of the end times. And if you've received that by the Spirit of the Lord, then everything that has happened in 2020 now comes into a different level of clarity and understanding. You know exactly where the world is headed. But I hope you know exactly where you're headed. Amen. If you believe and receive it, say thank you, Lord. As so every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Musicians, would you come? I never preach the gospel without giving an opportunity for people to receive Christ. Because let me just be honest with you. What would it profit you if you studied Bible prophecy with me for decades of your life? And intellectually and academically, you had all of this prophecy knowledge in your head, but in your heart, you had never repented of sin and received Christ. The purpose, don't miss this, the purpose of Bible prophecy is not to scare you, but to prepare you. If there's only one verse in Bible prophecy that you memorize, I challenge you to memorize Matthew 24 and verse 44. There the Bible says... Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. The backbone and the motivation, biblically, of prophecy is be ready. Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Are you ready? With everything that I've shared tonight, if you'll remember back at the infancy of the message before I ever began to speak, I told you my main reason for being here 
is I want you to be ready. I want your family to be ready. I want your children to be ready. Some of you that are listening to me that are present in this sanctuary, some of you that are watching online or various technologies and platforms, there's never been a definitive time in your life when you've bowed in the presence of a holy God and repented of sin and received Christ. Can I have the privilege of praying with you now and making that decision that literally will change your eternal address? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do that are present in this sanctuary here in Arlington, Texas at Faith Christian Center. Some of you that are here, a friend invited you or a family member invited you. I've done this for almost 42 years. This is not my first rodeo. I know very well that some of you came just out of your respect for who invited you. Not because you have great spiritual interests. Some of you don't like church. You don't like preachers. You certainly may not like evangelists. But you came out of respect of friendship and honor of the person that invited you. But as you've been listening to the Bible tonight, something has changed. Because maybe for the first time in your life, you've heard the Bible and heard Bible prophecy. And perhaps in some way, the Lord's helped me to explain some things that make sense to you. And right now you feel a tug in your heart. I need to get right with God. I need to make peace with God. Some of you that will pray with me, it will be the very first time that you've ever prayed what many call a sinner's prayer. But the Bible says in the last days, one of the signs of the last days is a great falling away from faith. There are many people in America that are backslidden. There are many people who for whatever reason, and I'm not judging you, but you've lost your way. You've let some illicit relationship take the place of your consecration to the Lord. You've allowed certain habits and addictions and choices to detour you from the path of God's destiny for your life. And tonight you need to come home. So in each service, when I give the invitation, whether you're making this decision for the first time or you're an individual who said, Lord, I need to come back home. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to meet me in this altar area in the front. And people always ask me, why do you ask people to come forward? One man from a local newspaper some time ago said, why do you ask people every night to come forward? Do you think there's some mystical power in your presence? What's that all about? No, there's no mystical presence. There's God's presence. There's the power of the word. But I'll tell you very briefly why I do it. Jesus said in the gospel of Luke, if you confess me publicly before men, I'll confess you publicly before my father, which is in heaven. But if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before the father and the angels. I do it because as I've studied the Bible in 40 years, it's the closest act of obedience to pure biblical pattern that I see. Everybody that Jesus called in the New Testament, he called publicly. But let me just put it to you in straight, simple English. If you can't kneel for Jesus in a church, you'll never stand for Jesus in the world. I'm telling you, it'll take faith and courage and humility to come and to pray with me. But I'm not going to keep you. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to pray together. 
And tonight you can make a decision to ask God to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart. And the promise of the Bible, and God cannot lie, is all who call upon my name shall be saved. And it works. When I give the invitation in just a moment, Christians, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to be very sensitive by the Holy Spirit to people you may have invited. You may have family or friends or people from work or a neighbor that you've invited. And as people are gathering, I'm going to ask you just kindly, gently, not forcibly, just gently as a friend, turn to them and say, if you'd like to pray, I'll walk with you. I see thousands, literally thousands of people every year that give their hearts to Christ in Lost Lamb events because a friend respectfully turns to them and said, I'll walk with you. When I give the invitation, I'm going to ask those of you that have the courage to be the very first ones to come, and that's just simple human nature. Your courage will help some people that don't have that same courage that you have. And as they see you come, it'll help somebody else. Dad, maybe your son's with you or your daughter and she needs to come home. Maybe, Dad, it's time to turn to that daughter and say, I want you to be ready to meet the Lord. Our family needs to be together for eternity. Or maybe a daughter needs to turn to a dad that's been invited and said, Dad, I can't imagine eternity without my dad. Will you come with me tonight? And as God is speaking to your heart, I'm going to kneel here on this platform and I'm just going to pray that God will now give you the faith and the courage and the humility to make that decision. And as the worship team leads in a song of invitation, as God is speaking to your heart, you come right now and then we're going to pray before we're dismissed. Come on. going to pray with these that are here if you're not yet here and you'd like to come you can come quickly by the way tomorrow night Wednesday night if there are individuals you know sometimes with those that are our loved and honored elderly uh, it's difficult to kneel I talked to a pastor today that's a dear friend that just had knee surgery he won't be able to kneel for a few weeks until he recovers or Sometimes it's war heroes. I've met war heroes with shrapnel in, in legs that uh, didn't have mobility and couldn't kneel. But as this week unfolds, if you want to come but you can't kneel, uh, you come and uh, I promise you
that uh, if you need someone to walk with you or to stand beside you or support you, there are people here that will love you and do that. And it's not just always the elderly. Uh, there are various reasons for that, but oftentimes people are intimidated. I've heard people say, I can't go forward, I can't kneel. You don't have to worry about that with this evangelist. It's not the posture of your body, it's the posture of your heart. Now as we pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud. Because I want you to build your walk with the Lord upon strength and not weakness. Upon courage and not cowardice. And there are people that are watching online on various platforms of technology and wherever you're at. I'm going to challenge you to pray with those of us that are praying here in Arlington, Texas. Pray this with me out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, tonight as I was listening to the Bible, you were speaking to me. You have helped me to understand from the pages of Scripture what's going on in our world today and exactly where we're headed. Tonight I make a choice. I don't want to be a follower. I want to be a leader. I ask you to forgive my sin. You know everything I've ever done. And tonight I repent. I turn my back on sin and I turn my heart to Jesus and I'm willing to say come into my heart be my Lord and my Savior give me the power to be what I ought to be fill me with the Holy Spirit in Jesus name I need your strength to follow after your commands Give me a love for the Bible. Help me to learn it. Help me to love it. Help me to live it. Now tonight in Jesus' name, I'm saved. Not by my works, but because of the cross. Your only son, Jesus. The blood that he shed cleanses my mind, my body, and my spirit. And as of right now, I am no longer the property of sin. I am tonight a child of God, and I'll never be the same. Use my life. May my whole family and those who love me see my life and come to Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a mighty hand of praise tonight. Before you leave this altar area, if you'll just hold steady, Pastor Austin is going to come and give closing remarks and instructions. Uh, I'm sure they're going to want to make sure that if you need a Bible, uh, they're going to give you a Bible at, at no cost. They have some materials uh, that they're going to give to you that will help you to better understand uh, exactly what you did tonight. Uh, FCC family, thank you tonight. Each night I'll be done preaching uh, by nine. Thank you for giving me a few extra moments. I think you realize how much ground I tried to cover in this brief amount of time. But if you have guests and they're asking what time will the services be done, uh, I'll be done speaking by nine. And uh, 
as always, give the invitation. But I love you tonight and thank you for receiving the word of God. Those of you who gave your hearts to Christ, I'm so proud of you. Every Christian has four biblical habits. Every successful Christian has these four habits. Number one, read your Bible every day. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Number two, pray every day. God said in Proverbs 3, in all your ways acknowledge me and I'll direct your path. God cares about your life and every decision. Number three, find a Bible-believing church with a godly pastor and be faithful every Lord's Day. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And if you live in the Arlington area, this is the church you need to be at. Uh, pastor Gene Lingerfeld and the staff here, I'm telling you, I've been in churches in 56 countries of the world. This is one of the finest men of God I know, one of the finest churches I've been to, and one of the most loving congregations that you'll ever meet. They'll love you and help you, and you will put on five to ten pounds uh, in fellowship in the near future. Uh, great people. Number three, find a Bible-believing church. Be faithful. Number four, win your family to Christ. Don't go to heaven alone. Take your family with you. Some of you have younger brothers, younger sisters, that if you don't help them find the way, they're not going to make it. So don't go to heaven alone. Take your family with you. And we'll be praying this week that God will help you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.